0: The human mind is reliant on recognizability as a way to perceive safety. There are several ways that the brain works to ensure that a face or personality type is recognized. One of which is through heuristics. Heuristics enable the brain to take shortcuts that save energy while enabling the mind to make quick judgments upon situations and people. This survival instinct is meant to help perpetuate the evolution of humankind. But what happens when a particular identity is seen as harmful or dangerous? In this episode of the Anger Podcast, we unpack what it means to understand the nature of the self from sociological, philosophical, and existential perspectives. Which gaze is the template for social acceptability, and how does that affect those with multiple identities who experience intersectional inequalities? I'm Angela Anderton and this is the Anchor Podcast. There is an anchoring mythos that pervades American culture that goes something like this. You can be successful based on merit alone. All you need is hard work and ingenuity, and the world is yours. We call this philosophy a meritocracy, a society in which people can find ultimate success based on their ability and skill. It is part of this bootstrap narrative within capitalism that is mechanized to cause internalized fear and disappointment in the minds of those capitalism exploits. In particular, trans and cis women of color, neurodivergent people, gender non-conforming siblings, and the physically disabled. This foundational lie creates a myriad of ideologies that reinforce systemic inequalities within institutions. Before we delve into the labyrinth of inequalities within the infrastructure of the institution, we must first understand what it means to be. What is the self? As a proponent of indigenous philosophies, particularly those from Buddhist and Hindu traditions, there is much to learn about the self. As is said in the ancient Upanishads, which are part of the Rig Veda, the self is Isha, which means the Lord or the soul of all, absolute reality. We experience the self through inward reflection, stillness, breathing, It is the depth of the darkness and our response to the darkness that empowers creativity. Outwardly, the self presents as the whole of all life and existence, or the sphere of phenomena. Within us, our practice toward understanding the illusion of separateness empowers us to see the connection between our human experience and the experience of all other living things and their unique forms. This philosophy is the root of collectivist thinking. Collectivist thinking seeds collectivist culture within the framework of understanding the idea of absolute reality, that there is no separation between human beings, the earth and the universe. The reflection of the self is in the actions and the intentions of the individual. The paradox is that the individual person contributes to the collective nature of the society in which they live. Therefore, society is, in essence, a collection of thoughts, agreements, laws, and cultural mores that start within one person and radiate among a civilization, creating an ecosystem of interconnected interactions. When Americans hear the word collectivist, there is a socialist connotation that triggers a suite of fears that stem from a belief system that the oppression of others ensures personal freedom. This philosophy is called individualism. Within the framework of Western culture, individualism presents itself in the philosophy of John Calvin, the man who took Martin Luther's 95 Theses and ran with the idea that faith alone was enough for spiritual evolution because men were predestined to attain heaven despite their actions and behaviors. Those who were not men, individualism could not save unless men found it in their hearts to intercede to God on behalf of the wretched, and even that was predestined. It is clear that many of the atrocities committed to create Western developed nations were based on identity politics. Religion served as a critical purpose in creating singularity dynamics between people, their identities, and their desires they had for life, liberty, and property. In Western culture, therefore, hierarchy is an essential aspect of personal identity and empowerment, while leaving very little room for internal reflection and contemplation of collectivist philosophy. Instead, absolute power and the clamor for its spoils through colonialism, chattel slavery, and capitalism have created a legacy of great pain for those whose identity status is not the status quo. Hegemonic masculinity, whiteness, and above all else, patriarchy. The white male gaze of America's founding men is rooted in usurpation, rape, and misogyny. The continuum of such cultural mores is intentional. What I mean by this is that once the actions that reinforce oppression begin, the interconnected continuum of time, space, and thought allows its perpetuation in different forms. Over time, those that have lived to see the abolition of slavery must contend with the 13th amendment that ensures slavery for those who live lawlessly. Those who fought for the end of Jim Crow may win, but it is us that must fight against such history being erased in collective curricula. Society is rife with micro battles that ensure momentary distractions while the overall game is being won by the wealthy few in power. And it all starts with identity. The institution of higher education is an excellent illustration for the point I'm making. Higher education is used as a way of validating a person's intellect, the offering of a better socioeconomic status and elevation within the hierarchy. However, within the institution of higher education, there lies the embedded inequality of colonialism, whiteness, maleness, straightness, sameness, The idealist aspect of education is that we get to learn about the world in which we live and come to an understanding of others that are different from us. While at the same time, the institution prevents students of color from receiving equal treatment in the classroom, erasure of indigenous facts and historical truths. Therefore, higher education is used to create docility and repression within the identities of black, brown, LGBTQIA, neurodivergent and differently abled people with no gradient. You are either part of the system or you are an enemy of the system. As a differently abled person with multiple identities, I experience barriers that are so ingrained in the system that when I have asked for equality, For those who look, feel, and live like me and myself, I am met with astonishment, indignation, threats, and many obstacles and hoops just to ensure my basic survival needs. The result racial battle fatigue. Racial battle fatigue is an integral part of being Black and Brown in American institutions. Since the inception of the institution of higher education, anti-blackness and colonialism have been the obstructive and destructive bedfellows that disallow prevalence of ethics, despite the propagation of academic integrity. Therefore, for a black, queer, or trans woman, the institution of higher education is an exilic space that quietly seeks the destruction of such identities, despite some of the best intentions of reform. Within the curriculum, there are no recognizable faces and the truth is concealed. Within the classroom, unless it's a historically black college or university, there are predominantly white students and professors. Within the census of student life, there are both subtle and obtuse forms of racism that prevail campus culture. As a result, the very existence of a black or brown person on campus is threatening to the institution and exhausting to the person of color because self-advocacy is paramount and must be done constantly. Nothing is simple. Add other identities such as gender, sexual, mental health, and physical abilities to the race identity, and the battle becomes a war. Not a war fought day to day, but instead moment by excruciating moment. Therefore, while the institution of higher education and other institutions that rely on hegemony to maintain a synthetic sense of excellence, the existence of black anger in the hearts and minds and bodies of intersectional women is not only justifiable, it is a form of self-love. In Western culture, the expression of emotion is not in alignment with homogeneity. According to the principles of white supremacy, to express anger is to be savage, yet to lynch, maim, or erase a person from their selfhood is an act of benevolence, heroism. This inversion of ethics, I believe, is tied to the principle of predestination within a religious ideology that worships whiteness and sees white men as the saviors of those who are both in the dark and are dark. The result is what we see around us, the climate crisis, a result of the earth and its resources as a gift of capital to capitalists to do with as they please. The racialization of labor in the global South, where there is a race to the bottom, and the people of developing countries have to contend with the waste from the West. The feminization of labor in the West, in which women have been relegated to child rearing, domestic work, and whose bodies are seen as property of the state. The weaponization of white women's tears to condemn people of color in public shamings for simply existing, so that solidarity with the patriarchy is reinforced, if only to be exploited later. There is no escape from the abominable reach of capitalism unless one looks within and asks those frightening, tough questions What is the self? What is absolute reality? Am I a person or a product? Why does representation matter? Why does representation matter to me? Am I being true to my identity? When will it be safe for me to come out? I'm not the one